Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of our Local Leaders Podcast brought to you by Stand Up San Fernando. My name is Daniel Nepomuceno and I'm a tech co-director here at Stand Up San Fernando and I hope you're all having a wonderful day. On today's episode, we talk with Lauren Lundquist, who is an outstanding professor in astrophysics at the California State University of Northridge, and we talk about her experiences being an educator, her experiences running for LA City Council, being a woman in STEM, and many issues surrounding climate change and her advocacy for homelessness in Los Angeles. Please enjoy! Okay, so, um, hi, and welcome to the um, Local Leaders Podcast, and today we're talking to Lauren, uh, Lauren Lundquist, who ran for the LA City Council. Um, she's also an astrophysicist and a professor at CSUN, and she takes part in activism for solutions to climate change and homelessness. Um, so, hi, Lorraine. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Raha. Yeah, um, so... Our first question is, um, you are a professor at CSUN, so what is your favorite part about that? Yeah, I teach at CSUN. I teach and I'm also faculty associate at the Institute for Sustainability. So um, I teach sustainability, which is an amazing experience. The students are fantastic um, and so excited and so passionate about sustainability, about making sure that we can ensure the survival of future generations, which is really what sustainability is all about, while meeting our own needs in the present. Um, so there is so much to work on with that topic. We have to change our energy systems. We have to change um, our water, the way we get water and the way we're, you know, unsustainably draining water from our aquifers. We have to change our waste systems. Um, and it's, it's really remarkable to see, um, to be able to interact with students, to be able to, um, talk to students about these issues that they know are going to be affecting them in their lives moving forward and, and you know, in the not so distant future. And um, to be able to talk about the solutions because we actually have the solutions to almost all of these sustainability problems. And the amazing thing is not only do we have the solutions, but um, in many cases, they actually are cheaper than not solving the problems like make implementing the solutions is cheaper in the long run, at least than ignoring the problems, which is remarkable. And um, so what that means is that the problem, the reason we're not actually implementing the solutions is um, because we just have to collectively agree that we care about this and that this is something that um, we are going to make a priority and I say just <laughs> we just have to do that that is actually a really big task to get enough people to prioritize this and um, really decide that this matters and that we are going to take care of of future generations but um, it's in it's amazingly exhilarating to be able to work with students to help them find their power and their voice because a lot of, I think a lot of young people, maybe you all experience this, but I think a lot of, a lot of folks, actually young and old, really feel at this time that they don't have any power, that they, that like, it feels like there's nothing we can do to change things. The world is messed up, but, but, but what can I do? Like, well, I'm just one person. 
um, <laughs> everything is broken, I can't fix it. And it's true, we can't fix everything alone, but it's amazing to watch what students start to do when you start to introduce them to avenues to, to where they can express their power and they can actually make a difference in the local community. And um, when they, they have experiences of actually you know, changing policy or making a difference locally, um, it's it's fantastic to watch and it's fantastic to um, just get to be a part of their journey. That's great. Um, it's nice to hear someone so passionate about um, solving all these issues. Um, but going based off of what you were saying, so you're obviously a very big advocator for solving climate change. So I guess my question is, what is your main focus like currently um, concerning solutions, um, either on like the local level or federal level? Thanks for that question, Layla. Um, so one of the main things I'm focused on right now is uh, shifting Los Angeles to 100% renewable energy. We're at a really interesting time right now locally because uh, about three years ago, city council passed a motion, LA city council passed a motion saying that we were gonna study the possibilities for how to get to 100% renewable energy in the city of Los Angeles. And so that study has actually been happening um, over, uh, you know, it took a while to get going. And then the actual study took about two years. It was conducted with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory um, in Colorado, which is, you know, the state of the art scientists looking at how how is this possible um, because it is it is absolutely possible in fact all of the scenarios they looked at a number of different scenarios and every single one of them has us shifting to 100 percent renewable energy by 2045 um, and i uh, uh, i'm really interested in pushing the accelerated scenarios where we get there faster and um, so we're at this moment in time where this study has just come out. The results are, um, um, uh, you know, mostly out, but they're still um, about to release some of the last numbers in the next few weeks here. And uh, we have this amazing opportunity to um, really make a difference here locally and decide that LA is gonna take the lead on this issue and be um, one of the biggest cities to ever to shift over to 100% renewable energy. And we have um, a municipally owned utility. You know, most places in the country have um, their utilities, their energy systems um, are supplied by a company that's owned by shareholders. Um, and so that company is, um, you know, has to has to meet their shareholder demands and, and make profits and things like that. We have a very unique situation where we have the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. We, the people of Los Angeles, literally own our own utility. So we get to decide where we get our energy from and where we get our water from. And this is a, just a, a an amazing time in the what's happening in the city of Los Angeles. And and I really I'm excited to see us lead this effort and the future of shifting over to the kind of electricity generation that is going to preserve the future for, for folks like you. Um, I really love that. It had a lot of very cool solutions in it. And I you are you do you are a scientist, you're an astrophysicist. So 
how has that helped you as a politician and how has that changed how you view climate change or issues like that? Well, I have the blessing of having that technical background um, to be able to understand a number of the different um, uh, you know, technical issues. So, you know, for example, with the 100% renewable energy, when when there are real challenges to shifting over to 100% renewable energy with our, our electrical grid system, um, with, you know, the capacity, the battery storage that we're going to need to be able to store the energy that comes from the sun and the wind, because right now we just generate, we just basically turn on power plants when we need energy, um, and we don't store any energy hardly at all. Um, and and with the sun and the wind, you only get power when the sun is shining or when the wind is blowing. And um, in order to use those kinds of clean energies, we're going to need to be able to store them. So clean energy storage is a, is a big challenge in this shift um, and understanding the different technologies and understanding the, the barriers to um, you know, implementing the technologies and understanding the challenges on our electrical grid. I have that physics background that makes that some of those things easier and um, you know I'm more readily able to talk with you know some of the engineers, for example, I'm, I've been on this advisory committee that's advising the study so it's it's been possible to, to speak with the scientists who are conducting the study um, in Colorado, maybe at a, a different level than if I didn't have the science background, but um, the truth is we need. We need people of all different kinds of backgrounds in the sustainability field. Sustainability is utterly multidisciplinary, is absolutely related to science, and, and we um, absolutely need people with the quantitative and technical knowledge to come in, um, you know, to figure out the engineering of how to fix some of these problems. Um, but we also need uh, we need artists to get help get the word out. We need people who understand the history because um, so many of these challenges that we're facing uh, have a complicated history, often intertwined with racism and environmental racism and, and the history of the inequities that have been present in our society for, for a very, very long time. And as we shift into the solutions, we want to make sure that those solutions um, are distributed equitably and are paid for equitably and, and that we don't continue this history of inequity that has continued for so long. Um, so, you know, we, we need people of all different kinds of backgrounds. We need good communicators. We need um, uh, you know, people who are good at writing, we need people who are good at social media. I mean, really, truly everything, every discipline, sustainability is related to every discipline. And so, um, it's, it's, uh, whatever your passion is as a student, I would encourage you to follow that passion and, and you can be part of the solutions in your community using your own personal gifts and interests, um, because we need each and every one of you. Yeah, I, I really agree. I think it's so important to have student activism. Um, but I guess I have two questions that sort of go hand in hand. So obviously your background of being a woman in STEM does help you with what you do today. So um, my question is, what was it what was it like transitioning from a woman in STEM into the political arena? And um, I guess I guess that's my question, sort of how did how did that work? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, very few scientists decide to venture into politics, and it definitely was not my comfort zone um, in any way, shape, or form. I'm actually an introvert. I never thought I would run for office, and I, but it was my. I felt compelled to run. It was my driving purpose that insisted that I run for office, and. I, so it was a leap I decided to take and it I had to do a lot of things that um, I hadn't been trained to do, um, you know, networking and meeting people and, you know, debates on the stage and, and excellent public speaking and um, talking to the media and, and uh, asking fundraising is a big part of it too, calling people up and asking for money. Um, that's actually one of the biggest things that you have to do when you run for office. And um, so I got to learn how to do all of those things and they they weren't easy, but they, the cool thing for anyone who might be interested in running for office out there is that all of these things are something that you can learn. You don't have to have the ex prior experience with it. And uh, again, much like sustainability, each of us brings our own gifts to running for office. And part of the key to running a good campaign would be to highlight those gifts and, and highlight what you would be bringing to the, the seat that you're running for. Because just like in sustainability, we, we actually, in government, we need people from all different backgrounds. We need people who, um, you know, have experience with lots of different kinds of of topics and lots of different kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds and um, lots of different kinds of work. It doesn't our government will not work as well if we have only people who went to fancy law schools and um, or studied political science. Uh, we need people who have been um, you know, nurses and teachers and and um, hotel workers and, you know, who've cleaned people's houses and we need people um, <clears throat> with lots of different kinds of skills. We need people um, with lots of different kinds of ethnic backgrounds, lots of different kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, that's the way you get the voices that um, are necessary to provide the perspective of all the members of our society. So you spoke a bit about your background. Um, so you were on the Northridge East Neighborhood Council. Um, and so while you were there, um, what, what were some things that you achieved that you were proud of or um, that, that you feel like made a big impact? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we were able to do a lot of fantastic stuff, I would say, at the Neighborhood Council, everything from um, spreading the word on environmental issues and uh, was part of something called the Cool Blocks program where we um, organized, we recruited people to organize their blocks, so their neighbors um, on their block to do things like um, in install energy efficiency um, measures in their own homes. So, you know, more efficient lighting, um, insulation in their attic, um, the kinds of things that are going to save energy 
um, water efficiency as well, you know, sh shifting over to drought tolerant landscaping and um, native plants instead of grass for <laughs> for yards. Um, and also uh, disaster preparedness as well, you know, really, if there's a major earthquake or, or any other kind of or most other kinds of disasters, I guess pandemic is a little bit different, but in many kinds of disasters, um, we are gonna need to rely on our neighbors um, if, if our infrastructure fails us in some way. And, and LA is a place that is, that is um, at risk for a number of different types of disasters. And so, you know, getting to know the people on your block who, you know, who needs medicine, who needs medical care, you know, who who has water stored and who doesn't have water stored, you know, that kind of thing is is really important. And so we combined those two issues, you know, the the creating more sustainable homes with the disaster preparedness, which is also related to climate change, because climate change increases the risk of disasters of all different types um, that we are at risk for here in Los Angeles, all different, I should say, all the different weather related disasters that we're at risk for here. And um, um, uh, so that was a really cool program. Uh, another program I'm really proud of is we became one of the pilot uh, welcoming neighborhood councils, uh, partnering with an organization called Miri's List, which welcomes refugees um, who are new to our community and um, provides them with a, an immediate community of people who are there to, you know, welcome folks, help them help them get situated, you know, in a new home, help them, you know, if they don't speak the language, even just helping them like figure out where the grocery store is and what kind of, you know, how to buy food. And there's a lot of things that are very challenging, you know, when you land in a new, completely new society. And um, so it's fantastic to be able to be a part of the Muri's List um, movement, which, you know, especially around the time um, after Trump was in office, it just felt so important to be a local force saying, you know, we, we want um, new people in our communities and we care about everyone who's here and we're going to take care of, of people who are sometimes um, feel like they're outsiders. Yeah, so um, we've talked about so far uh, both science and politics and how they go hand in hand and how they may not go hand in hand. So I, I think my question is, what were some struggles that you had in um, both arenas and, you know, how, how did they differ? I'm sorry, both arenas of what? Of, of like politics and being like a woman in STEM and how like you've sort of struggled with that or if you have or if yeah. you haven't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's quite a bit of sexism in both arenas, for sure. Um, there are a lot of people who um, feel threatened, whether consciously or unconsciously, by a, a woman speaking <laughs> intelligently or speaking, you know, taking power and um, standing up and uh, speaking truth. And um and and showing up other people and uh so you know there's there's a lot of i i got a lot of comments i got a lot of um you know hateful messages and and um uh 
you know, scary things that people say. I think almost every woman in politics has had just, um, you know, just a lot of vitriol sent their way. Um, so I did experience that in politics and uh, while receiving it, I hadn't really received it from people I didn't know in the past. Um, I certainly had received quite a bit of sexism as a woman in science, quite a few men who um, were belittling or, um, you know, harassing in one way or another. Um, and uh, it's it's a major problem in our society, but the, the best way to counteract it is to um, continue to put yourself out there and not, not let it, uh, not let it tear you down. I mean, I think in some cases the the intention is to make people feel bad, make women feel bad and step back. And we need to keep stepping forward and keep calling out these inappropriate statements and actions and make sure that everyone understands that it's not okay and we're not gonna take it. That's very cool. Um, so you went a part of being a being. You went from being a part of these local committees to running for LA City Council. So, however, you did sadly lose your election. So, how did you find the motivation to come back from that, and what did you learn from that experience? Well, I definitely learned a lot from that experience. It was it was a painful loss, partly because it was so close. I received forty nine point four percent of the vote. And as a matter of fact, there was six days after my election ended, there was a big FBI scandal that came out that implicated my opponent and um, his, he was the chief of staff to the previous council member. So our, my previous council member, Mitch Englander is going to jail now because of the, this case that, that came out. And, um, you know, my opponent was involved in the same nefarious activities as as the council member. And so it was it was very upsetting. In fact, that indictment had been written in January, but it wasn't released until March and uh, mid-March, you know, after the election. And um, so um, that was definitely hard to take. It was a blow. It was um, painful. And uh, but I think with everything, with all every setback that you experience, no matter how painful it is, no matter how frustrating it is, no matter how embarrassing it is, um, uh, and because I, you know, I did, I felt, I felt guilty. I felt like I let my community down. I felt like I let this person who ended up being a criminal be in office, and um, I, I felt awful. And I can't, you know, like when you come so close, you have to, you know, you just, you naturally get these thoughts like, well, what if I had done this? And what if I had done this? Wouldn't have, maybe it would have turned out differently. And um, um, it's it just, you just have to, there's no other choice, but to keep going, right? Um, and you can, again, with every, with every setback, you have a choice to let it get you down and just wallow in the pain, or you can choose to learn from it, first of all, and, and 
take those lessons and move forward and apply them to even bigger and better things and make every failure a part of your story. I mean, it could be your big failure that, that, you know, just is a mark on your life, or it could be that that part of your story, the story of your success, right? And, and those stories of success are even more powerful when they include failure after failure after failure and people, we've all heard these amazing people in our society who've, who've faced just incredible um, challenges and trauma and setbacks far worse than losing a city council election. And um, the people who, who inspired us are the ones who take those failures and turn it into part of their story of success and let it fuel them and their next endeavors and you know find a way to to turn that story into something that is empowering so i'm working on doing that i am you know i am i am teaching and i'm enjoying I feel like I'm bringing into my teaching a lot more, um, first of all, a lot more connections. We have, um, I, you know, I'm able to pair my students with all kinds of amazing community leaders that I have met along the way and, and they are benefiting from that. I have learned um, about how to support great candidates and I've learned about, um, you know, what, what some new ways that I can get involved and be a, a part of, of activism, I've I've learned about new groups, and and uh, again, I've made a lot of these connections, so I'm able to connect different groups. And when people are looking for for help or need allies, um, I'm able to be a bridge between different groups of people that I didn't even know about before, but but really do need each other. Um, and I'm also, you know, I'm still incubating, I'm still learning, I'm still figuring out what's next for me exactly. And I'm okay with that. I am enjoying that process of, of you know, being, having a little bit of time, you know, like with my family, I'm a mom and um, campaigning really takes an incredible toll on families and it takes a lot of time. And I was away out of the house for a lot. And I'm so glad to, you know, spend some more time nurturing my kids. And, um, and I, I'm still looking for the right way um, to be a part of ensuring that they have a safe future. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pursuing some of those right now, but I also sense that there, there is something big, bigger install for, in store for me. And um, I'm still, uh, still working on what that will be. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see how, um, even though you've obviously had a loss that was very close, you were able to just sort of come back and keep doing what you're doing. Um, so we've talked about uh, your priorities for climate change, um, but you're also a big advocate for homelessness. So what are some solutions you think would work to address the homelessness problem in LA? Yeah, thank you. It's another big, hairy, messy problem that feels some days it feels intractable because um, we have actually, even before COVID happened, we were in a point where we had 
we had passed some big policy changes um, in supportive housing. We, we passed a big ballot measure to provide funding for supportive housing. We had housed um, thousands of people who were out on the streets and given them not only housing, but support services surrounding that, you know, um, substance abuse support, um, uh, mental health services for people who needed that, um, you know, job placement services, all the different kinds of support that that address some of the various different reasons that people are on the streets. Um, and of course, the, the actual home that that takes someone out of homelessness. Um, but even before COVID started, we were at a point where we had done that um, with thousands of people in Los Angeles, um, but we had had so many more thousands each year come into homelessness that we were housing people not even rapidly enough to to stop the flow, the incoming flow of new people who were becoming homeless, much less making progress on getting more people off the streets. There were we were still adding so many new people onto the streets, um, even though we were subtracting them at, at really remarkable rates. We were adding them at a at a higher rate, and of course that has just gotten worse during COVID, and. Um, there is a, a big opportunity that it's not all um, <clears throat> bad news. Um, and in particular, with the new presidential administration, there's a lot more federal programs and federal funding, and the federal government is able to provide support for these programs at just at a much more robust level than a local government is. So there is a lot of potential um, uh, and a lot of uh, so, for example, they just uh, federal government announced that that they were going to um, make uh, support for emergency housing in COVID during COVID project room key. Perhaps you've heard of that where where people are being housed in hotels right now that they were going to um, uh, reimburse 100 percent of those costs, whereas before they were just rep, uh, reimbursing 75 percent of those costs. And so that that's a big relief um, for the city. And uh, you know, council members have introduced a motion to expand the Project Room Key program, for example. Um, uh, council members Mike Bonin and Nithya Raman have introduced that. But uh, still, there's there's a lot to be done. And um, the much like with sustainability, the research is actually pretty clear about what is the most cost-effective way to solve homelessness, and it is the housing-first model. Um, it is literally cheaper to give someone housing and support than to even leave them on the streets. Um, it's, it's actually um, the best thing to do, both in terms of of the cost and in terms of the outcomes. Um, more people end up um, getting jobs and being able to support themselves um, through supportive housing, housing with those those extra support services to help people get on their feet to to um, be able to support themselves. Um, <clears throat> that that's the most effective thing to do is to house people first and not say you can only have housing it once you fix all these other things or once you get off drugs or when, whatever it is um people it's a lot easier to get off drugs when you have a bed to sleep in 
um, than when you are just trying to numb yourself from the pain when it's raining and you're outside and like you're trying to sleep on the concrete. And in fact, a lot of drug addiction, a lot of people who are addicted um, and on the streets actually started their addiction when they were on the streets rather than the other way around, than, rather than getting having a drug addiction that caused them to become homeless. And um, so um, it's clear that, you know, housing first, the housing first model is critical. So we do need more housing. We need more housing. We need more support services. Um, you know, mental health services are so strapped right now that even if somebody decides they want to get help, which is a, a challenging thing it, that, that doesn't always happen, um, that they really don't have access to those. It's really hard to get help once you decide you need help. And that's that's critical in a lot of mental health cases that that a patient is willing to get help, um, and that's the moment when you can, when you can really make a difference is when a patient decides that they really do want help. Um, and um, it's it's so we need more funding for mental health. That's a that's a major issue. It's a that's what the county funds. The county runs the Department of Mental Health. Um, we need more housing. We need more support for services. Um, we need also to prevent people from becoming homeless in the first place. We need more, um, we need better jobs. We need, um, to, you know, look at forgiving rent and, um, that's, and mortgages. And especially during this time when so many people are behind on their rent, um, we need health insurance, health, <laughs> you know, healthcare for everyone. Um, a lot of people become homeless because they have some kind of healthcare problem that they can't pay for because um, they don't have insurance. And you know, most, almost every um, developed country in the world uh, has healthcare for everyone, and we do not. We say, you know what? If you can't pay for healthcare, then that's your problem, and you're going to die. And that's just not the way that society should operate. So um, there's a lot of major systemic changes that need to happen to address this problem. And the cost of housing is crazy in Los Angeles. And that's because of the way we have operated in terms of our planning and land use. It's because we have not been building affordable housing. We have not um, been building enough housing. And so all of those things are systemic things that need to change to address this problem. So it's a very complicated problem. Um, and a lot needs to be fixed. But again, we do actually have um, considerable wealth in the the county and city of Los Angeles, um, and you know if you look at uh, the the incomes, for example, of the wealthiest uh, in our society in the United States and certainly in Los Angeles as well, there are certain parts of the society that have been doing um, better than ever during this even during this time of COVID, um, whose incomes have you know, it increased by tremendous amounts and uh, being willing to um, to tax the rich and um, to say we are, you know, we are going to um, do like what we did, you know, in the past when we were willing to have higher taxation rates. I, I think that's that is part of the solution to the problem, um, getting funds from from the people who are still going to remain incredibly wealthy billionaires. We do have the capacity to solve this. We have tremendous wealth in Los Angeles, and um, it is the purpose of government to, 
to bring those resources to bear on on problems like this and make sure that the solutions happen. Um, thank you. That entire thing was just very um, educational. Uh, so, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so our last question before we end this um, is what advice would you give to a student who's looking to get more involved in their school district or in just politics in general? Um, I would say find organizations that are doing work that aligns with your interests and your passions, because there's a lot of community based grassroots organizations out there that are working probably on most any topic that you're interested in. So getting involved with them, getting on their mailing list, they often, you know, send out emails with action items or even on social media, they'll put action items on social media I follow follow the groups on Instagram. Um, come to the meetings, uh, get to know people who are interested in the same issues that you're interested in. And, and um, often there will be people who are working on solutions already, and you'll be able to plug in to those solutions and, and start to learn how, how change happens and start to be a part of making change. And it's, it's incredibly, once, once you have a few experiences under your belt of actually being able to affect change, it's, it's really powerful. And you, um, you can bring more people in, um, you can, you can start your own organization. So you all have done that you've started stand up San Fernando, which is fantastic. And um, because you saw a need. I mean, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about, I'm not sure if you've talked about this in your podcast or not, but what, what need that you saw that, that, you know, just that you all decided to make this organization, but um, it's, uh, I'm assuming that you, you want to help your fellow students um, tell, you know, find out what, what they can do and um, get involved with, I know you've, you created an activism fair so that um, students could, you know, understand and, and get connected with these organizations that are out there um, working on issues that they care about. And so you've already been doing that work of connecting people with, uh, with the organizations that are are making change and and making change yourself by creating your own organization. Yeah, thank you. Well, that wasn't me. That was all Marisol and Aisha, the creators of Stand Up San Fernando. But um, I think they would love to hear that. Um, <laughs> so um, that's it for our podcast. And thank you, Lorraine, for talking with us. And thank you for the listeners to for tuning in. And this was a great conversation. We had a lot of fun. Um, I loved hearing your thoughts on um, climate change and also your uh, homelessness solutions. It was just all very enlightening. Um, it was very enlightening. And um, so yeah. I'm really, you gave me more hope for the future throughout this conversation. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you so much, Raha. It was such a pleasure to be with you. And I'm so impressed with all the work that you all are doing and, and um, hosting this podcast. You all are, are inspiring me and I'm grateful for, for you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us for more content.
Also, be sure to check us out on our Instagram page at Stand Up San Fernando. Thank you for listening. See you again.